Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to watch us every week at the same time. Uh, perhaps you're DVRing us or watching us that way, but we thank you for uh, sharing this time with us. I trust you're being blessed by the word that we're sharing. I realize sometimes we dig into some fairly deep stuff here and uh, hopefully you're being blessed by that. It really does encourage us when you let us know you're watching and listening. We've been finding out there are so many people who have uh, been listening. You know, I went through a little season in the beginning of the year where I was really kind of a little bit discouraged thinking, boy, I just wonder if we're affecting anybody. And especially doing all we're doing with traveling ministry and television, and then all of a sudden begin to find out, man, people that I never thought was listening are listening. So if you just take a moment to, you know, shoot us an email from our website or something, let us know you're listening and that you're being blessed by it. We, will, we want to continue doing this. Easily to do it, go to infolinhouse.com and that will send an email to us. You can also go to my public profile on Facebook at Lynn House Ministries, and uh, we can uh, communicate with you there as well. Uh, we've been in a series where we've been talking about the seven I am's of Jesus in the book of John. If you've missed any of these, this is like something like, I don't know, 17 programs, I believe, that we have aired to date on the seven I am's of Jesus, and we are on the fifth one. Uh, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And we're going to continue talking about Him being the resurrection and the life in this segment. If you've missed any of these programs, though, and you'd like to uh, go back and say, boy, I sure wish I wouldn't have missed them, uh, we do have archived on YouTube. We have our, channel, our own channel on YouTube. And uh, you can simply go there and watch them on demand in high definition, closed captioning, and everything is ready for you to watch there. Uh, there's also a podcast of the audio portions of this. There's also an RSS feed for your Android device. That way you can get the audio portions if you don't have time to watch the video portions. All of them are free of charge and are on both uh, our, uh, like our, our YouTube channel and then on our iTunes and then as a RSS feed for your Android device. The easiest way to do any of that would be to simply go to my website and uh, in the upper right hand corner there's an icon for YouTube, there's an icon for iTunes, and there's an, a little robot looking thing for your Android device. If you tap on any of those there is a direct link that will take you to that page where you can watch or listen on demand and uh, we want you to be blessed by that. They're free of charge and we're putting them out so that around the world people can listen and watch what we're doing. Uh, we contrasted, let me come back into the Word today, because every one of these that Jesus says, I am, once again He contrasts it by saying, you thought that was the bread. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. So He's saying, you thought that was the bread, that's not the bread, I'm the bread. You thought that was the light, but that's not the light. In other words, th that, that Jesus is the light that lightens every man that comes into the world. And He talks about in John 1 that He was, uh, that the people that sat in darkness saw 
a great light. And he contrasts how you thought that was where you were getting your light from uh, the old covenant, but you're not, I'm the light of the world. You thought that was the true shepherd, but that's not the true shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. You thought that was the door, but that's not the door. The way into the sheepfold is not through the door of performance. That's not the door. I am the door. And so he contrasts that several places with, you know, what this is not the way this is. And what he tells us is in, I believe it is in John 20. Let me see if I've got the scripture actually typed out here for you in my notes, but I believe it's John uh, the 20th chapter. Let me see if I can find it here quickly in my notes, but in the 20th chapter of John, he said, these things are written that you might believe, and that having uh, faith in his name, you might have life. Let me say, there, here it is. John 20, verse 30 says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. I think actually there's also seven signs as well. Maybe we'll get into that. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Now see, in this whole series we're talking about, especially in this fifth one, we're talking about He is the resurrection and He is the life. The greatest need of the human family is for life. That's the greatest need of the human family. Uh, and you know, one of the things that we've done in this series is we begin to share how that the story of, of Lazarus, we went into uh, John 11, where Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth unto me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the whole story of Lazarus to me is a powerful picture. What we shared last week is that it is not an accident that his name is Lazarus. Because I shared with you last week that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, there's a story of a rich man and Lazarus. Now, I don't think it's an accident that the same name is used. Because the rich man, to me, it is in a context of parables, where Jesus is really indicting the scribes and Pharisees and the high priest and religious rulers of the day, and all of these parables that he's speaking are really talking about them and the Jewish nation who were not believing in their Messiah. Because with many infallible proofs, he was showing that him, them that he, in fact, was Christ. Now, the rich man to me again, and I shared this a little bit on the last segment, the rich man is a picture of, uh, to me, the nation of the Jews who fared sumptuously. They were clothed in purple, and he was the son of Abraham. Because when he's carried, when he dies, the rich man is carried into the bosom of Abraham, and he calls Abraham his father, and Abraham acknowledges him as a son. So he's a natural seed of Abraham who is in hell and he is carried there and he's, but Lazarus 
to, it's not an accident again that he uses the name Lazarus set at the, at the foot of the table of the rich man and would have begged for the crumbs that fell from the master's table and the dogs licked his wounds. Now you remember that Jesus tells the story again of a, a, I believe it was a Samaritan woman who comes to Jesus and said that she needed healing and Jesus said, it is not lawful to give what's holy to dogs. The dogs were symbols of the, of the Gentiles in that time. Now let me say this also, not only does that bring my mind to thinking he's talking about the Gentiles, but the name Lazarus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Eliezer, who was the Gentile slave of Abraham who was going to receive the inheritance of Abraham because Abraham had no son. So this to me again is a picture of the rich man being rich and was about to be made poor, and Lazarus being the type of the Gentiles who was poor, who was about to become rich. And the rich man fared sumptuously and celebrated and Lazarus was the one who sat at the ta- beneath the table and mourned, and it's literally a, a, a fulfillment of what Jesus preached in his, one of His first messages on the Beatitudes when He said, you're blessed if you mourn because you're about to be filled. So here's Lazarus who was hungry and thirsty, and he was about to be filled, and this rich man who had fared sumptuously, he was about to be reversed and be hungry and thirsty because he's going to be in hell and lift up his eyes and be thirsty. Uh, he, he fared sumptuously and he was about to mourn, and Lazarus who had mourned was about to be comforted. Do you see the contrast that I'm saying here? In other words, it is the great reversal that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 concerning the kingdom of heaven is about to be taken from them and given to a nation producing the fruit thereof. Now remember that this rich man you know, fared sumptuously, he was in purple, he ends up in hell, and when he lifts up his eyes, he sees Abraham, and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he says to them, listen man, if you would just send Lazarus from the dead, send one, no, he said send one from the dead, because if somebody from the dead went and warned my brothers, they would not come to this awful place. And it never dawns on us when Jesus fulfills actually their request from that story, that He raises not just one from the dead, He doesn't just send one from the dead, He literally sends a man named Lazarus. I promise you, the moment Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees, and you go read the story again, I'm not going to read all the text because it take me too long today, we've read it the last time. You go read the text in John 11, and when they went to the Pharisees and scribes and said, this dude just raised somebody from the dead, the scribes and Pharisees said, man, everybody's going to believe. And they sought to kill Jesus uh, from that moment on, and they still did not believe even though one rose from the dead. And that's what Jesus said in that parable, is even though one rose from the dead, still you will not believe. That believing in Him, you might have life through His name. In other words, the issue here is life. You know, I think sometimes we make a whole lot of, uh, we, uh, we need to really relook at some terms like saved, 
you know, as, 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 as like who's saved? Well, actually the word saved is, is sozo, and it means, it, it means like, some places it means to be saved physically. Other places it means to be saved spiritually. Other words it means to be made whole in your physical body. And so salvation is a big term. It's, it, it, it engulfs a lot of stuff in salvation. But I think that what you really need to, we need to do is begin to reduce stuff down to believers and unbelievers. He that has the Son has life, he that does not have the Son does not have life. I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The greatest need of the human family was for life. And so Jesus came that we might have life and that believing we would have life through His name. And so with many infallible proofs, He proves He is the Son of God. And this, this, this story here, <coughs> excuse me, of Lazarus, being raised from the dead, again pictures to me God including both Jew and Gentile through faith in His name to be able to receive Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that includes both Jew and Gentile, that whosoever believeth in Him might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, the moment Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and God said, in the moment you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so death was the result of that was conveyed upon the entire human family. But the reversal of that is Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And 1 Corinthians 15 says, in Adam all die, even so in Christ all are made alive. The issue is who are you in? And who do you believe in? And the issue here again is that when you believe it's not about necessarily heaven and hell, it's about life and death. And that, that is included of course in heaven and hell. But the reality of it is, is that, that, you, that the whole point is that you would believe in Him because it's not about performance. It's not about good works. It's not about does your good works outweigh your bad works. It's about do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing on Him you might have life through His name. So what you see here is again the story of the rich man and Lazarus is a story of uh, God taking the covenants of promise from the rich man and Abraham's bosom, the natural seed, and giving it to Lazarus, the Gentile nations, that they would have life. And so when he raised Lazarus from the dead, the, Gen the Jews still did not believe, and they not only uh, sought to kill Lazarus again, but they sought to kill Jesus from that moment on. And even when Jesus rose from the dead, still they did not believe. It is interesting to me that in the story of the rich man and Lazarus that there's a great gulf fixed. And the word great gulf there is a medical term in the Greek. If you look in Bullinger's notes in the Companion Bible, it says it is a medical term in the Greek. And it's a gaping wound. The only way to bridge the chasm from an old covenant into a new covenant is to come through the gaping wound of Calvary's tree where Jesus was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon Him. Because see, the greatest need of humanity again is for life. And when you have this life, that's what causes uh, your, your life to change. Uh, let me just read a few things from my notes. I put the greatest need of humanity is for life. 
Remember in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam, in the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Death was the result of feeding from the, the wrong tree. Because what it talks about there, you see, when I think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think about, I think about uh, how that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really the law. Because the law gives the knowledge of sin. And once again, the contrast to here is you cannot get life from a commandment. For if there was a commandment that could have given life, then verily righteousness would have been by the law. I believe it's in Galatians. I've got it down here where I'll read it just a little bit later. But uh, uh, let, me just, let me just read this to you from Genesis 3, verse 22. It says, And the Lord God said, The man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now just lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I want you to note he didn't put it there to keep you out. He put it there to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, I, I want us to just take a look at this a little bit because uh, th this to me is some really good stuff here. Adam has a garden. He turns it into a graveyard. But Jesus will take a graveyard and turn it into a garden. Adam received the curse that when you eat from this tree, it's going to give you the knowledge of good and evil. But see, what that did was it alienated Adam from the life of God, and he became an alien in his own mind, an alienated from the life of God, and he ran from God rather than run to God. Now, what I want you to see, I got to thinking about this a little bit the other day, because I've preached this a lot from different angles. Mostly what we bring people to in our churches is we bring them to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can remember growing up and going to Sunday school when they would have a little tree up there, and they would have little things on there like, you know, like uh, uh, going to church praying and fasting, giving offerings, doing good works. And over here it would be like hating people and doing bad sin. And so and they said, now go to that tree and choose what you want. And so, of course, like good little Christians, we'd go pick the one that says, you know, going to church or whatever it was. But what we don't realize is that the good on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will kill you just as quickly as the evil, except it's more deceptive. Because doing good works does not produce life. It does not produce life. It brings the knowledge of sin. And so, you know, I used the example, I had a guy that used to travel with me that came from a crime background, and, and I mean, when it came to evil, I mean, this guy had, uh, you know, uh, if it moved at night, they, they either controlled it or, or were part of it. And God put this guy with me to travel, and he traveled with me for a number of years. And it was, uh, you know, and I asked the Lord one time, I said, why did you put him with me? And the Lord said, well, I put him with you to show people the power of God to deliver from the deepest, darks, darkest depths of evil that's on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when it came to darkness, he had a personally had experienced it or done it. And he said, I put you with him to show the people that I delivered you, sir, from the same tree that I delivered him from. And that's the good that's on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because both of them produce death. The issue is, do you not, is not knowing good and evil. The issue is eating from the tree of life. 
Now, when I started to think about that, I thought, well, you know, why would God put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of this garden? And then, you know, you know, was, why did he do that, just to trick him or to trip him up or what? And then I started realizing that God would probably was going to allow him to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was the order in which he did it that would make the difference. And then I came across the scripture in, in Hebrews 5, verse 12, it says, for, when the, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And all of a sudden I begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. It wasn't that God put this tree in the middle of this garden to trip him up. It's just that man couldn't live by what's on that tree. In other words, if Adam had eaten from the tree of life first, and had this life working in him, and knew he was the righteousness of God, and knew, uh, you know, what he's talking about here in Hebrews is having your, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, 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 at least a foundation of being uh, uh, skillful in the word of righteousness because you've been fed milk enough to know you're the righteousness of God and that you have need, need of milk, that's the word of righteousness. And once you realize I'm the righteousness of God and I am who God says I am, it's out of that identity that you begin to live right and you have your senses exercised by reason of use, having walked out of the life of God that's in you, then you can discern between what is good and evil. So I'm not thinking God is thinking I want to trick him by putting him in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm thinking what he was saying is I want you to get the life first. And once you get this life, you will be able to tell the difference between good and evil, and you won't walk out of your life being a result of feeding from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will be from uh, feeding on the life of God that flows from the power of His resurrection. And then as I sat here and I thought about how that when the Lord cast the man out of the garden, we just read it a minute ago in, in Exodus chapter, uh, not Exodus, Genesis chapter 3, Verse 24, so he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. He didn't put those cherubims there to keep you out. He put it there to keep the way of the tree of life. Now let's fast forward to John, I believe it is chapter 20, where Jesus is about to come up out of the grave, and the stone is rolled away again, much like the story of Lazarus. The law, the stone of the law, that's what that pictures to me, has been rolled away, not to let dead stinking flesh out, but to release the power of the resurrected Christ. And when Mary walks down to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, she stoops down, and in John chapter 20, she sees an angel standing at the head, and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had laid. Now remember, this is in a garden place. 
I submit to you that these two angels that are standing at the tomb of Jesus are the same two that are at Eden's garden with a flaming sword that are turning every way, not to keep you out, but to keep the way back to the tree of life and what these angels at the tomb of Jesus in another garden. Because Adam had a garden turned into a graveyard, Jesus about to turn a graveyard into a garden, and when they stoop down, they see these two angels, and they're not keeping you out. They are pointing the way back into the garden of God and back into the tree of life. And what they're saying is, this is the way. This is the truth. It's not through the knowledge of good and evil. You thought that was the way. That's not the way. This is the life. This is the resurrection. I came to give you what you're deplete of, and that is a life that is a power of His resurrection working in you that doesn't just get you up from the grave after a while, but works in your life every day so it keeps the way of the tree of life and that's the sword that turns every way. If you look at it in Hebrews 4, that sword is the Word of God. That is the Word that flows from rest. That's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart because it points the way back into the garden of God back into His redemptive work. Everything's pointing to Him. I, I hope I'm making that clear to you, because it's pointing to Jesus, and it's not an accident that after His resurrection in a garden, that Mary walks up to Jesus and said, where have you laid Him? And she's supposing Him to be the gardener. Oh, He in fact was the gardener, and He had just put them back in a finished work put them back in the garden just like they were in the beginning, except this time He gives them the life first, and they feed from the tree of life. And once you and I receive this life, and this life is living in us, then we would be able to discern between good and evil. But when you do it opposite, then you think, well, I've got to get an understanding of good and evil, so I can make myself holy enough to get in the presence of God. And the reality of it is, is his death, burial, and resurrection, what you've got in you. I'm the resurrection and the life, is what he's saying here to Lazarus. Roll the stone away. Get rid of all the stuff that's hindering you. Loose them. Let them go. Take the grave cloths off of people. Point them to Jesus. That, that these things are written that you might believe, and that believing you might have life through His name. It is important to believe. I know there's a lot of people out there talking, I mean there's some out there talking about you don't even need to believe. God already reconciled you. Well, I, 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 there's just way too many scriptures here that talk about believing that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This is bigger than just a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free card. This is about life and that more abundantly, and it's not just on the other side of the grave, it's on this side as well as that side, because if you live and believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe this, he said to them? And I, I ask you that same question. Do you believe this? If you do, you can have life in His name. We're just about ready to run out of time again on this segment, and I thank you for tuning in. Listen, if you are enjoying what we're doing, it takes your help to be able to take the gospel around the world. If you have not become a partner with us, we encourage you to do that, or if you would just like to sow a one-time seed into our ministry, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. The easiest way to do that is to go to our website, and there is a place where you can give via credit card, MasterCard, Visa. You could also set up a recurring payment if you'd like to become a partner with a monthly amount every month. 
there's someone standing by to take your call. If you don't get uh, someone on the line, leave a message if you want to call back and we'll call you back. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way and send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen and, and include the most generous gift you can, and it will help us to take the gospel around the world. We really do need your help, and we appreciate you doing that. Thank you for tuning in. Tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.